0: Live from Southern California,
1: this is the Jim Rome Show.
0: Cleveland, how y'all living today? Now I've asked that question before. Here's something I have not said in a very long time. Cleveland, 21. Somebody else, 17. And yes, I am aware that that somebody else is the New York Jets. And normally, I would not be saying that you should celebrate a four-point win over a team that has been nearly as crappy as you have been for years. But Cleveland, you better be celebrating this. You earned it. Do you want to party all night? Do it. Do you want to call in sick today and just watch the second half on a loop? I will sign the doctor's note. Do you want to name that baby that you conceived last night? Baker. Go ahead and do that too. Because a night like this does not come around very often. And you better enjoy it while you can. Not very often. How about for the first time in 635 days? Not 365, 635. And you woke up this morning after a Cleveland Browns win. Call me right now. 1-800-636-8686. Now, what I'm not going to do here is the hack thing of running down that list of quarterbacks you've had or all the losses you've had or give some beverage company a bunch of free pub. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland freaking Browns are back. Yes, I said it. And I know it's only one game. And I know it's only one game against the Jets. But the Cleveland Browns are back. The factory of sadness has been shut down. You no longer are the mistake by the lake. You're Cleveland, the city of champions. And it came in the most amazing way possible. Everybody knew going into that game that that was Cleveland's best chance for a win in a long time. At home, against the Jets. I said it yesterday on the program. Cleveland, you better win. You better win because you are at home. You are on in prime time. You're under the lights. The rest of the league, hell, the rest of the nation will be watching. Oh, and you're favored. And the reason you're favored is because top to bottom, you are the better football team. So you better win, especially looking at that schedule. Because if not now, then when? If not now, then when? Well, for most of the first half, it looked like never because for most of that first half, it looked like a classic case of BGB. Browns, gonna Brown. The Jets jump on them 14-0. The Browns could not move the ball at all. The Jets were abusing them in their own house. They are enjoying themselves so much that Isaiah Crowell broke out perhaps the most disgusting, nastiest TD celebration ever. I mean, I could spend an entire program on how brutal that was. And I will get to it later on. But in that moment, to have that dude on that team do that to you in your house with the entire nation watching, that's about as disgusting as it gets. Nasty. Browns browning all over again. Oh, and if that weren't enough, Cleveland. Somewhere along the line, a Browns fan appeared to have caught a possum in the stadium. A freaking possum in the stadium. So just when you thought that it couldn't get any more Browns-like, it did, again. I mean, I've seen that video of the Browns fan holding that possum and then putting it into a box. I don't know if it's real, the video. I mean, I'm assuming the possum is real. I don't know if that fan really caught that possum in the stadium or just brought it from home. I mean, who the hell is in line at a concession stand and sees a possum running along the concourse and says, screw the game, I got this. And just go all animal control with it themselves. I guess the answer to that is a Browns fan. But then again, then again, looking at what happened last night. Terod Taylor knocked out of the game of the concussion, which is brutal for him. Brutal for him because then Baker comes in. And literally in an instant, everything changes. Not just the offense, but the entire game. Everything I mean, how Cleveland views itself as a city changed. How we all view Cleveland as a city changed because of Baker Mayfield. He leads them on a field goal drive before halftime. Suddenly, it's 14-3. There is some buzz in that building. The life is back in that building. Something's happening. Denzel Ward, a.k.a. the other first-round pick, who's coming up huge, then comes up with a huge play halfway through the third quarter. Darnold, short drop, a throw. Robbie Anderson, the catch
1: on the slant to the 20. Anderson had the ball ripped away down the near sideline. Return man is Ward, and Denzel Ward spun down inside the 10. Huge turnover by New York after the completion.
0: Thanks to Westwood 1, and I don't see anybody questioning that draft pick anymore. Ward is a playmaker. So they get another field goal. Now it's 14 to 6. The defense forces a punt. Baker leads that team on a 69-yard TD drive, and he was locked in, including a 29-yard laser to Jarvis Landry that took the Browns to the one-yard line, then Carlos Hyde punched it in, and the Browns chased it with this. Mayfield is in a pistol formation right now, and now he's running away from center, and the snap goes to Duke Johnson, then they flip it around, then they throw it, and Mayfield caught it! it It's the Philly special, Cleveland style! I love it! I mean, seriously, are you kidding about that? Cleveland has not won in decades. And they're dialing up wide receiver passes to their rookie quarterback for a two-point conversion. I mean, it's insane. It's astounding. Tie game. Sam Darnold gets the Jets another field goal. But what did it matter? I mean, nothing was going to stop the immovable force. There was Baker Mayfield. He comes right back. 15 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, 21-17. Browns, just over two minutes left. Cleveland was feeling it. If you didn't believe before, you sure as hell did right then. I mean, this guy, this guy, Mayfield, so cool, so poised, so composed. He'll get his own take. Hell, that guy should get his own show. But on a night where the top two quarterbacks in the draft went one-on-one, on one, it was a 10-8 round for Mayfield. This guy looked like a vet. He looked like, well, he looked like the guy the Browns never, ever draft. And then after running down Gain Green in the second half and delivering Seatown's first win in nearly two full calendars, this guy handled it like it's going to be the first of many. And that's because it will be the first of many. This dude is cold-blooded. He went out there like a freaking boss. He went out there spinning it like he'd been doing it at that level for a decade. When, in reality, it was his first regular season action. This guy didn't even get first-team snaps in practice, and it didn't matter. As always, this cat was prepared, unflappable, and completely flatlining on a huge stage. And while everybody else all around him was losing their collective bleep, he was just sitting there like... What? What? Haven't y'all seen me play before? This is nothing new. This is just what I do. So I'm going to say this. Killing that losing streak was a big deal, but finding a quarterback is a much bigger deal. And after outplaying Darnold, running down the Jets, and delivering the land, a night of dilly-dilly, one thing now is absolutely clear. The Browns do have themselves a quarterback, and that dude is a freaking badass. That was a brass Brass pick overall. This guy's got a brass set, and the Browns finally got it right. They're back. Robert Klemko is my guest. Robert, good to have you back. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you? I, I
0: always appreciate that. Dude, you earned that. You will always get that respect on this program. Listen, I normally do not have a guest on so quickly after their last visit, but I wanted to get back to you for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're killing it right now, one great piece after another. And number two, you have studied Baker Mayfield pretty much as much as anybody. So knowing that, what was your reaction to what you saw last night? And were you surprised by anything you saw?
2: Yeah, you know, you can't be surprised watching Baker in debuts because you just go back to his college history and there's a large enough sample size to say that this guy's always going to be ready. I mean, his first game at Texas Tech, his first game at Oklahoma, you take his three debuts at the college level and the NHL level, he's thrown for over 1,000 yards, uh, I think seven touchdowns, no interceptions, three wins, no losses. I mean, the guy knows how to prepare, and he is one of those players who truly treats being a backup, like you're one play away from being the starter.
0: Robert Klemko, my guest. And then back on April 5th, you had tweeted, quote, the of scout, tell me last week of Baker Mayfield, take everything away off the field and just look at the product on the field, and he's QB1 by a mile, end quote. So what did the scouts see in Baker, and what prompted him to say that?
2: Well, I think in the media there was this feeling that he was too short and that his height um was really going to kill his draft stock and, and that teams would prefer more prototypical size passers like Sam Darnold or Josh Allen. Um and in sitting down for, you know, that series of stories I wrote with Daryl Bevel, the Seahawks coordinator, the first thing he said after, you know, five, ten minutes of watching tape was the height doesn't show up as an issue for me. And that's what I heard consistently from evaluators that he was one of those players who could find passing lanes uh despite his height, a la Drew Brees or, or Russell Wilson. Um, And so I think that that was probably the big misconception with Baker as a prospect and the big disconnect between the way the media covered him uh, and the way teams felt about him.
0: After a long week on the grind, the weekend is my chance to relax and recharge. And after I get my workout and my Friday cocktail on, I recharge on my absolutely amazing Casper mattress. Once you try Casper, you're going to love yours as much as I love mine. Switching to Casper is a no-brainer. It's a high-quality mattress at an affordable price. I'm sleeping cool and comfortably every single night thanks to the unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment. And Casper, and Casper, ships right to your door for free in a small, how-did-they-do-that-size box. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it, and they'll refund you everything. From its engineering to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights, it is no wonder that Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews of all their products across Casper, Google, and Amazon. Sleeping on a mattress is the best way to try one. Put Casper to the test in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free. Go to Casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get $50 towards the purchase of select mattresses. Again, Casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get 50 bucks off towards the purchase of select mattresses. Casper.com. Terms and conditions do apply. We're talking to Robert Klemko. You know, there's still, there's something really unique about him in the sense that Lincoln Riley had told you a few weeks before the draft that he wins the job as a walk-on, as a freshman at Texas Tech. He beats out a bunch of other good players at Oklahoma, and he wins the job despite having no experience in the offense here. That was a direct quote. How did Riley explain Mayfield's ability to do those things?
2: Well, the one thing that Baker can really do is memorize. And, you know, his family and friends think that he has a photographic memory. So he can look at a playbook and digest it faster than most humans. Um, even when Lincoln Riley was talking about how they would adjust for every opponent uh, over the course of you know, his junior and senior seasons, he knew that he could give Baker one adjustment one time, they'd run it in a walkthrough, and Baker had it down. And it was a matter of teaching the rest of the offense and having those guys all catch up with what Baker was able to do and process.
0: We're talking to Robert Klemko. All right, so what about the intangibles? For instance, his teammates from Oklahoma rave about him as a leader and a teammate. What's your sense of him as a leader?
2: Yeah. So when he got to Texas Tech, I think a big thing that he did, and the same thing at Oklahoma, was get comfortable with those guys immediately and endear himself to players. And I think that uh, he's the perfect quarterback for this generation. I mean, you see the videos of him dancing. Uh, It's silly but honestly, I think it's one of those things that wins guys over because it, it exudes the confidence. Um, and then you look at his ability in practice. And I'm sure that over the course of, of you know, this preseason and early on this season in the first month, these players realized that this was a guy who could step in and do as good or better a job than Tyrod Taylor was doing. And then you saw it in the first game. I mean, he comes out there with all this poise. He doesn't look afraid. He's got rushers in his face. He does drop that fumble that they luckily recover. But after that, I mean, it's just pinpoint accuracy standing in the pocket. You didn't see him scrambling around looking for options. He took the safe play every single time.
0: Robert Clemco, my guest, you know, I'm racking my brain right now trying to think of something that I would compare it to. I don't remember a guy, and I'm not saying I'm surprised because I think the guy is absolutely electric and I think he's very, very bright, and I think you're right. I think he absorbs information quickly. I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, and I really can't. Now, what about the raps in the past about quarterbacks, Robert, in the Big 12? That they don't face tough defenses and that quarterbacks and air raid offenses in particular do not translate well to the NFL. Now you've got guys like Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes. Are they the exception to the rule, or is is that rule starting to change?
2: Yeah. There's a funny moment in the, in the docuseries that Baker commissioned um, you know, on himself that I think they ran on Facebook. But uh, it's him and Patrick Mahomes sitting at a Panini uh, autograph signing event at the Super Bowl during Super Bowl week. And they're kind of commiserating that nobody respects air raid quarterbacks. And they think that we're not out there making the same kind of decisions that everybody else is. They think it's easy. And they just kind of had a laugh about it. And it, and it spoke to how disrespected a lot of these guys from this system, and specifically the Big 12 Conference in a lot of ways, feel that they are. And I think that these guys are the vanguard um, for Big 12 quarterbacks and the, and the example that all future guys coming out of the air raid system are going to point to. If they can have sustained, sustained success in the NFL uh, using you know, coming from that system, then I think that changes a lot for prospects like them. The big thing about what Cleveland is doing, and even more so what Kansas City is doing, is they're incorporating air raid offensive schemes, route concepts, and entire plays and protections into their offense. I mean, I I was just having a conversation actually with Patrick Mahomes, high school coach, the other day. And he was saying that some of the stuff that they are running with the Chiefs is identical to what they were running in his high school at White House, Texas. Wow. And that was, you know, so he's been doing some of this
0: stuff since he was 15, 14 years old. Robert Klemko joins us once again. You know, Robert, I I generally defend Tyrod Taylor, and I think that he doesn't really get the respect that I think that he deserves. I'm not saying he's a world beater, but I think he's better than he gets credit for. But is there any doubt in your mind that the Browns are now Baker Mayfield's team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I saw that Hugh Jackson said, I've got to take a look at the
0: tape. Sure you don't. he
2: would get laughed out of Cleveland if if (laughs) Baker Mayfield isn't the starter next week versus Oakland. Um, His effectiveness... In the pocket, I think, is what seals the deal for him because Tyrod Taylor had to extend a lot of plays and he put himself at a good deal of risk um, over the course of their first three games. And you watch Baker and they barely touched him after that first sack.
0: All right. So before I let you go, one quick topic. They win that game and they've won a game, but Seattle has not. You wrote a piece with Greg Bishop about the state of the Seahawks. How would you describe where they are right now as an organization?
2: You know, I think you could point to the Super Bowl and the way they lost it. Um, You could point to all the big personalities they have on defense. But I think the most damning thing and and the biggest mistake that this organization has made is not investing enough draft capital and free agent money in the offensive line. Um, You have Jermaine Effetti out there, and he honestly, despite being a first-round talent when he came out, has no business protecting Russell Wilson's blind side. Absolutely no business. And, and they're about to play the Cowboys and Demarcus Lawrence. And I think you have to hope as a Seahawks fan just to get out of there with your quarterback intact. I mean, forget winning. Let's just get out of here without Russell Wilson tearing an ACL.
0: Hmm. Now, a number of Seahawks players had started referring to the organization as the Titanic. That metaphor is pretty obvious. How much of what's going on there and the pushback within is about Russell Wilson and the perception of how he's treated by Pete Carroll?
2: Yeah, and that's that's a big thing that a lot of the players, you know, current and former that we talked to, reference. They felt like after the Super Bowl interception, this kind of sense of meritocracy that they had built, that many of them felt was unique to Seattle, where any player could get criticized, any player uh, you could talk trash to anybody. That all went away, and the quarterback was raised to a different level, and they were told not to criticize him in practice. And there's that famous story about uh, Richard Sherman picking off Russell Wilson and then chucking a ball at him and telling him that he sucked. Uh, and then after that, they had a meeting and they said, we can't do this with Russell. And they would never criticize him in a team setting. And I think that rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way because of the way it had been before.
0: Is that strange? Like, for instance, what would Wilson have done or how would he have responded if teammates did treat him like anybody else?
2: You know, I think that he was okay with that in the beginning, and I think that the the Super Bowl loss was a really sensitive thing for him. And, And I have to believe that the strategy of protecting Wilson had as much to do with centering power around Wilson within that organization as insulating him, as protecting him from criticism because some players felt like he was too emotionally fragile to handle it, for it to keep going the way that it was.
0: So, final thought. I mean, it was not that long ago that Seattle was the dominant force in the NFC. They look like a shell of themselves right now. Can they turn this thing around, or is this essentially who they are and are going to be for a while?
2: You know, I think this is who they are and they're going to be for a while just because they, they do not have that offensive line talent and depth that you need to compete in the NFL. And I think that their defense and Wilson's scrambling ability has bailed them out and kept them relevant in years past, in years since their last Super Bowl appearance, But you look at their defense now, and it's a shell of itself. I mean, all you've got is Earl Thomas out there from that Super Bowl team with all these injuries, and even he doesn't want to be out there. And I'm not saying that's affecting his play, but I think we're finding out that Earl Thomas is is nowhere near the player he was if you don't have an outstanding defensive line and some uh, linebackers that can really cover field.
0: You know, one last thing, and I don't want to make it about you, but going back to Baker Mayfield – You know, you took a little bit of heat in some circles from people who thought that you may have been too positive in your coverage of Mayfield. Is there any part of you that wants to say, are you still sure that I was too positive? (laughs) You know,
2: when I did that series of stories, I talked to a number of people in and around his life, a number of neutral observers. And I was trying to dig up as much dirt as I could, honestly. You know, we put in police report requests with every jurisdiction he's ever lived in. And everything came up roses for this guy. And so a lot of my stories may have felt really positive, but honestly, this was a prospect who was seen in a much better light by NFL teams than he was in the media. And that was obvious when the Cleveland Browns picked him number one overall. So I understand, you know, I don't, I don't fault the locals in Cleveland for being a little bit snake-bitten after Johnny Manziel. So I'm not going
0: to rub it in. It's Friday. And if you're looking for some action tonight, you can find it at my bookie. Remember this, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. This is why I tell my people to bet with my bookie. Trust me. They are the best bet this season. They've been in business For years, they have great reviews online and their mobile site is very easy to navigate. Lay down some cash, win big right now. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. And they have in-game live betting. The most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and myBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Rome to activate that offer. Visit myBookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. Do not forget to use the promo code Rome when creating your account to get that bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, So getting lost in Baker Palooza is just running back Isaiah Crowell. His method acting in a Charmin commercial in the end zone after he housed his second rushing TD of the night. No, I understand there's some bad blood there. I understand that he played for the Browns. Believe me, I would much rather talk Baker Mayfield the entire program than get into this. Because rubbing a Spalding up and down your backside and tossing it into the crowd afterwards plays a hell of a lot better if you don't blow a two-touchdown lead. This was back in the second quarter before Baker went legend. Back when the Jets looked like they were going to boat race the Browns. In the first game of the Hugh Jackson era, that Vegas had them actually favored? You remember, Crowell spent the last four years in Cleveland. And apparently it did not end very well because this guy could not wait, could not wait to lob a butt-wiped football at his old fans after going in for his second rushing TD of the game down territory for the Jets. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. Isaiah Crowell. He's got a couple. And that'll draw a flag every time. Force your way through. Joe Schobert unable to it. keep him from getting Offense in. Offense
3: number 20. That 15-yard penalty will be a fourth.
0: That's Joe Buck saying, that'll get you a flag every time. What you didn't hear was Joe Buck describing what... We'll get you a flag every time. Hard to blame the guy, though, when he's talking to a TV audience who can see Crowell turn his back to the crowd, squat down, wipe the ball three times on his backside, then turn and spin it into Souvenir City as if they were his giant toilet. And yes, that will draw a flag every time. And a book of matches, and some Febreze. that celebration was so egregious. So vulgar, so blatant, so lacking of any subtlety whatsoever, so over-the-top, so disgusting, just so stupid. You almost have to respect it, right? It was that dirty, almost. I mean, think of the most revolting celebrations you've ever seen. And think about the guys who've done them. T.O. never did that. Ocho Cinco never did that. OBJ has never done that. Hell, Randy Moss shooting the moon in Green Bay isn't even in the same genre as what we saw last night. Moss! Uh Randy Moss is in for a touchdown! As he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That that is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. (laughs) Not nearly as disgusting as the act we saw last night from Crowell. And here's the really fascinating thing to me. This guy knew that bending over and three-wipe chucking his hammock was going to draw a flag. He knew it was going to draw a fine. He knew he was live on national TV. He knew kids were watching. He knew he was going to get chewed out for it. He knew the act of wiping his butt with a football and then throwing it into the crowd would be the kind of thing that would follow him around forever. He knew all that and still did it. And didn't give a damn. And if he, for some reason, didn't know that, then that's on him. Because in what world does somebody dial up the absurdity to 11 and think or not know that there's going to be consequences? But here's the thing. The league does not have a 20-yard penalty or a 30-yard penalty or a 50-yard penalty. The NFL is maxed out at 15. So I guess you may as well bring a newspaper into the end zone bathroom next time. Get comfortable. Because you can't lose more than 15 yards. He's getting his money's worth on that, right? The fine that he gets in his mailbox, though, should be pretty interesting. Let me just say this to Isaiah right now. Pay the fine. Pay the fine. Do not appeal it. Do not use that fine to wipe your backside. Just pay it. Because you earned it. Every cent of it. The only thing more baffling than his celebration was his explanation afterwards. Quote, when asked about that, he said this. And I quote, it was just passion. I've just got to control myself. End quote, passion. <laughs> Bro, is that how you describe or define passion? That's a weird way to show passion, by wiping your ass with the football. Especially when you could have done any number of things to show your passion. Spike the ball, spun the ball, dunk the ball. I mean, dude, you've been to the house 25 times before that, and you never once wiped your backside with the Duke. So check your passion, because that's a really bizarre way to show passion. I love Todd Bowles saying, quote, it will never happen again. Right, because who would do that once, let alone twice? But damn, the stone's on this guy if he ran that back one more time. And then again, can you really blame the man? It's his passion. Isaiah, you're lucky Baker went off and ripped all the headlines and helped cover you today. Check that. No, you're not. You're still the dude who wiped his ass with a football in a game that you lost after leading by two touchdowns. Well played, bro. Very well played. Good luck ever shaking that. It's a good thing it is your passion because that will stick to you forever. C-Town, how'd that make you feel? A guy that balled for you for a number of years goes into your house and did that. Not only did that, but threw the football to you after he was done doing that. Nick Vigil is my guest. Nick, nice to have you on. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, Nick. All right, so you guys are off 2-0. and Let me start right there. You're in first place in the division. I know it's only two weeks, Nick, but how different does this year's team feel compared to last year and the year before? Is there a different vibe about this group?
4: Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, obviously, the last two years, we got off to slow starts. Uh, last year, 0-3. Um, so we knew how important it was to get off to a good start this year, and uh, we've been able to take care of business the first two weeks, so that's been good for us.
0: All right, so you were wearing the helmet, the helmet mic, I should say, in last week's win against Baltimore. I'm curious, what's that experience like, and what are you hearing from the sidelines, and how valuable is that information once the play starts?
4: Um, I mean, it's big time. Uh, it, it was it was cool them to uh, trust me to be able to call the plays. Um, that was the first time I did it in my career. Um, but uh, I mean, Ta—he's—he's he's the one you hear in the mic, you know, the Terrell uh, Austin, the defensive coordinator, and he's—he's he's pretty calm on the sidelines. I was kind of interested to see how it would be on game day, because you know, when you see him around the building, he's pretty calm, laid-back guy. So. Uh, he, he's like that in the game too, you know, uh, we give up a play, he doesn't He doesn't panic, he doesn't start yelling, he just, he's calm, cool, and collected the whole time, so that's good.
0: Since Daddy's in Carolina on Sunday, Nick Vigil is my guest. Now, according to Pro Football Focus, you are the NFL leader in defensive snaps, played through the first two games with 167, so how much pride do you take in the fact that you're out there for every single play, and that your teammates can count on you no matter what the situation is?
4: yeah I think that's big uh i mean in this league, you got to be able to stay on the field you got to stay healthy um and when you're getting a lot of snaps like that uh i mean I mean that's good and bad, good because you know I'm getting a lot of a lot of snaps a lot of a lot of looks, but at the same time uh that's a lot of snaps for us on defense you know we got to be able to get off the field a little quicker on third downs and try to limit those snaps that we're that we're playing so
0: yeah, I understand that point of view. But I would imagine also that being out there for every single snap is not something that just kind of happens. It's not by accident. You run after every practice. You get some extra cardio in. You make sure that you get in extra lifting sessions, too. It would seem like maybe if you hit it that hard, you might run the risk of wearing out. But clearly, that's not the case. Why do you take that approach, and what do you gain from it?
4: Um, I think just, I mean, your, your body gets used to it. The more, I mean, you do it all off-season. Uh, this is what you prepare for. You know, this is your job, so this is all you do. You... You, I mean, you build your muscles, you, you get your body ready to be able to uh, take on this long, grueling season. And uh, I mean, you know, things happen, people get hurt, but uh, there's things you can't control. But at the same time, I mean, the stronger you are, the more in shape you are, um, the more your body's used to it. Uh, in my opinion, I think that's that's, uh, that helps you out a lot.
0: Bengals linebacker Nick Vigil, my guest. You go back to week one, that comeback win over the Colts. You also mm-hmm. said that even when things were not going that well in the game and you fell behind, nobody panicked, nobody lost their heads. Instead, everybody just kind of stayed calm and stayed the course. How do you personally go about making sure that you stay calm in a situation like that and not get caught up in the minute, moment?
4: Um, I mean, it's the NFL. And, I, mean, I mean, teams are going to make plays. People are going to score. Uh, things are going to happen that, that, that you can't control um and i think you know the first two years i was here you know we would, things would kind of happen and uh people would put their heads down you know start bickering on the sidelines but it was just it was kind of a different vibe there in the first game we got down early um but we did, we just came to the sidelines after every drive we we talked about it we made our corrections um and then we just kind of stuck to the game plan and and it ended up working out for us so
0: you know, you and I talked about having the helmet mic on. Another way of putting this, Vinny Ray, a teammate of yours, said that people talk about Nick Vigil being a young guy. He's made a lot of plays in the league, so I wouldn't call him a young guy. That was actually a direct quote. Truth is, you're only in your third season, but at the same time you have been contributing from an early point in your career and you're making the calls right now. Do you feel like a vet at this point?
4: Yeah, I mean, we got I mean, for me, it's, I, I think you become a vet when you, when, you, when, you, when you get on the field quite a bit. And I was able to get on the field a lot last year. Um, and, and gain that experience, and that was invaluable for me. Um, I mean, my rookie year there, at the end of the year, I was, you know, got some snaps, not not as much as I would have liked, but but I was able to get some snaps. Um, and at this point, I mean, you know, I think I've played enough to where I've earned the respect from the guys in the locker room to where they can look to me if they have questions or or if uh, uh, you know they need uh, somebody to go to for leadership. So.
0: Bengals linebacker Nick Vigil my guest all right Nick you got Carolina in their place on Sunday which means it's a defense you're dealing with Cam Newton what is the number one point of emphasis for the defense as you prepare to face Newton
4: yeah I mean we we got to keep him in check he's uh he's unlike any other player I don't know if we've ever seen anybody like him quite like him in this league with his size his arm talent his athleticism his speed I mean when the guy takes off and runs the ball he's he's as good as any running back in the NFL um And so we just got to do a good job up front with the front seven Uh, and in the back end just, you know, plaster into our guys once he starts scrambling around Um, and then just do the best we can to keep him in the pocket.
0: So now you deal with that guy and the skill set that he brings to it. You have to deal with Christian McCaffrey, who had eight carries and 14 receptions Mm -hmm. in week two against the Falcons. I know you know that. What's the key to limiting his impact on the game?
4: Uh, I think you just got to know where he's at. I mean, they, they try to line him up in all kinds of different spots all over the field, um, they put him out at receiver, they put him in the running, in the backfield, you know, they put him in the slot. Um, and so you just got to have your eye out for him because that's who they, I mean, they really want to get him the ball no matter how they do it. They're looking to get make it a point of emphasis to get him the ball. So just as a whole, as a defense, we got to know where he's at and be able to uh, be able to stop him.
0: Now, I think, Nick, a lot of people know you as a linebacker, but we should also set the record straight. As a sophomore at Utah State, you started all 13 games at linebacker, but you played five games or in five games as a running back, too. You -hmm. had been an all-state running back in high school. So when Utah State head coach Matt Wells brought up the idea of mixing you in at running back, what was your reaction to that?
4: Uh, I was pretty excited. I mean, he just called me in. I think we were on a bye week. Uh, We were about to play BYU, I believe, my sophomore year. And he uh, he called me into the – into his office, and he just said, hey, we're thinking about putting in a package for you running back, and, you know, I was pretty surprised, but I was, you know, obviously excited, um, and uh, so what we did is we just met, I met with him a couple times, you know, during that week, we went over plays that I would run, I would go for, over there with the offense for about 10 minutes during practice, we'd run the plays that I was going to be in for, and then, you know, we went into the game, and I didn't, i didn't never expected to play that much, uh, you know, originally they were just going to say, you're a third down guy, maybe, maybe give it to you on first down a couple times, but uh, ended up getting quite
0: a few carries, which was fun. Have you shown Marvin Lewis that tape?
4: Um, I never have, no. <laughs>
0: <I> never <laughs> listen, have. Listen, man, that was not like just a little package or a few third down plays. Against number 18 BYU, you had 16 carries, 57 yards, and a touchdown. In that same game, you had nine tackles in the upset of BYU, meaning you were the only guy in the country to lead his team in rushing yardage and tackles in the same game that season. So what do you remember most about that game?
4: Uh, the thing I remember the most is in the fourth quarter, I think it was about a minute left, we, we, we had the game one, I believe, and they were, BYU had the ball and they were driving, and uh, I made a tackle on the sidelines and I cramped from, my whole lower body cramped, and I just remember everything locking up, and I had to wallow the sidelines, and I was cramped for about a minute to where they had to sit there and stretch me. Uh, you know, played a lot of plays that day, so.
0: Connor is coming back to the Octagon for the first time in nearly two years. The only thing more amazing to me than him being out of the octagon for 23 months is that he's going to come back and step right in against the guy he's stepping right in against. Arguably, the best in the game. Arguably, the best to ever do it. I'm talking about Habib. Remember, Connor used to be the double champ in the featherweight and lightweight divisions. Both belts vacated because he has not defended in two years. Right now, Habib has the lightweight belt. He's considered, again, not only one of the best in the business at 26-0, but one of the best to ever do it. And although Conor has ducked nobody, this is probably his biggest test. And this fight's already being called. And I'm going to say, even without hyperbole, the best fight, the biggest fight in the history of the UFC. So we know this. Just as we know back in April, it was Conor and his crew that assaulted A bus. That Habib was on, and they did serious damage, both to property and to people. Bad look for Connor. Bad day for Connor. Bad look. Criminal look for Connor. Now he eventually did beat that rap and he'll do some community service. But this guy was out of his mind. This guy was out of control. There was nothing cool about that. That's not part of the promotion. Let's not get it twisted. But as whack as that was, and it was whack, I mean the guy took a dolly and ran it through a window on a bus. The guy went ham on a bus. It was whack. It's wrong. Right, Dell? Tell him, Dell. But as whack as it was, you know the guy sold a grip of additional tickets that day. And then yesterday did nothing but further hype that thing. Because Connor went Connor for 45 minutes straight and added to his Hall of Fame sound bank. Now, I want to play back what I have time for here. I can't cover all of it. Well, let me hit a few key points. Starting with Connor being all bent that he didn't get to play to an audience live. He wanted a live audience. I mean, he knew ultimately that the sound would go viral, but that's not enough. Connor wanted the energy. He wanted people allowed in to watch him do work at the presser, but it was not open to the public and he didn't like that at all.
1: If I was an owner and I was part of the promotion, I would have had our f***ing fans in this arena. Where's the f fans at? That's who we fight for. That's who pays the bills. That's who deserves this show. Bring me all over the f***ing world. And we're just sitting here in a f-ing thing. I'm on probation up to my eyeballs and ongoing and incoming civil cases. And I'm and come here to do this bull****. Bring the fans here. Well, here we are. You just wanted a war. Here we are. Do you know what I'm saying? Let's get a war going. Yeah. all this other stupid s***. But I mean, hey, I didn't get what I asked. So here we are.
0: This guy's so offended that there aren't fans who are there to listen to him rap. that There's not enough energy in this building. You're going to bring me out here to promote this fight, and I've got to do all the heavy lifting and do all the work, and you're not going to let fans in here to watch me do work? And that's how it started. I mean, immediately, this guy's back after being gone. He's back now. And it only escalated from there. And the next question was about why he came back to fight after stacking the cash that he did fighting Floyd Mayweather.
1: I came back for the love of this to come and shut this man up, a little rat, a little weasel, a little hard man in groups. I've met many of them through my years. A man who grows in numbers, but on, a, on his own and when confronted in a similar situation, cowers away. And that's what you saw with that little on the bus over there. He his jocks. And, and, and that's it. I came back for the love of fighting and the love of war. And this I am going to truly, truly love putting a bad bad beating on this little glass jaw rat
0: that is an amazing phrase i mean truly an amazing phrase i came back for the love of the war and to put a beating on this quote glass jaw rat glass jaw rat a glass jaw rat he just glass jaw ratted maybe the baddest guy in the game now, remember, the two of these guys used to be boys. They used to be tight. And if you don't remember, Conor sure as hell does.
1: Fanboy. The man was a fanboy. He bought t-shirts of mine. He f-ing supported the cause. You remember that? You little fanboy. You little fanboy bitch.
0: You little fanboy bitch. You were buying my shirts. Conor then goes on into great detail about Habib's involvement with an embezzler back in Russia... And then Connor decided that the right thing for him to do would be to dedicate his fight to Habib's countrymen.
1: His own people that that he's turned his back on, they want to see him gone too. And I am going to do it in the name of the Russian people.
0: He's doing it in the name of the Russian people. Pretty strong and pretty disrespectful to dedicate your fight to your opponent's country. But this is Connor, and he's back. Apparently no rust to knock off at the presser. And that's what makes him one of the best smack runners ever. His smack is legendary. His smack is legendary, but his recall of history isn't necessarily so.
1: I'm right in front of you. Did you not see me at the outside the bus now? Did you not see me right in front of you outside the bus? I showed you my hands. No weapons. To let it know I come here unarmed. No weapons. Step off the bus. You talk the big game. Now I'm here. He done f- nothing. He sat and took his shit on that bus, hid and cowered behind women and caused what happened to happen. So that's that.
0: That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, y- you know, I love this guy and I love his rap, but even for Connor, that's unbelievable. Did you hear what he just said? He said that he showed up to the bus unarmed and then he blamed Habib for what happened because he didn't come off the bus. It only happened because he was unwilling to come off the bus because he was quote, cowering behind women. And then for Connor to say, I showed him my hands. I was unarmed. Bro, you rushed the bus and threw a steel barricade through the window. You weaponized the barricade. What do you mean you were unarmed? You were armed with a steel barricade and ran it through the window and busted up a bunch of people who were on board. But you were unarmed, and it was the other guy's fault because he was unwilling to come off the bus. If he had come off the bus, none of this would have happened. Connor, great take. But there was more. If you watched it yesterday, you noticed that he was showing up and he had a bottle of whiskey with him. A bottle of whiskey that he wanted to promote because it's a company that he's got a stake in. And yesterday was just as much about promoting the fight as it was promoting his beverage.
1: Proper 12. Proper Irish whiskey from a proper Irish That's what I'm talking about. I came here to have a buzz with this. I almost didn't get the bottle into the arena i anticipated that so i had a little slowy bottle brought in you know you see how tricks up my back pocket all over the gas i also brought my own belts because i knew they wouldn't have my belts up here i'd love a glass or not a glass even a cup something like a toast if not I'm probably going to start drinking it out of a bottle. If the bottle gets (laughs) empty, I don't know what I'll do with this man and an empty bottle. You know what I'm like. So please, someone in the back, get me a cup, a plastic cup, please. Thank you.
0: Amazing. This guy's got a bottle of whiskey, and he's saying, somebody get me a cup or I'm going to drink it right out of the bottle. And if I drink it right out of the bottle, I'm going to empty the bottle. And if I empty the bottle, you don't want to see what's going to happen to this guy because you know what I'm like. You know what I'm like after an empty bottle. He's threatening somebody to get a cup, or he's going to finish the bottle and then finish Habib. But that didn't stop Connor from pouring three rounds one for him, one for Dana White, and one for
1: Habib. I don't drink. Why don't you drink? I don't drink. Why don't you drink? I never drink. i tell you, some booze parties. I never drink. You're mad backwards. I You're never dead when I get my hands on you. Do you hear me? I never. I never drink this All drinking, shit. Me the Animal with the OG the He'll this bad boy. I think it's gonna be a long night for him. Right. It's gonna be a long ah, night yes. for him. He Oh Lord, this. Me, he know this. He knows this. He knows this. He knows
0: this. Connor, question for you. Fill in the blank. Conor McGregor is going to blank Khabib when you guys meet each other.
1: Stomp on his head as he's unconscious.
0: Conor McGregor is going to do blank when he meets Habib. Quote, stomp on his head as he's unconscious.
1: Stomp on his head as he's unconscious.
0: You know that move, right? You've seen that move in the street. You can do almost anything in MMA except fish hook and stomp on guys' heads when they're unconscious. This dude, man. This freaking dude. I mean, like, where does Conor come up with this stuff? And give Habib credit. He was unfazed. He didn't rattle. He didn't blink. He was calm the entire presser. He never took the bait. And believe me, Conor, there's a method to his madness. Remember what happened to Jose Aldo. Aldo hadn't lost like in a decade. And Conor was doing this time and time again at every step on the press tour. And Jose got so fired up and so hooked by the whole thing that he came running across the canvas in the cage and got put to sleep in 13 seconds, but Habib's not going for that. He just sat there, totally relaxed, totally composed. And even when some reporter asked Connor why he had to have 40 guys roll up on him on the bus and why did he why he didn't come alone,
1: ask these nuts. I don't have to do nothing for nobody. I'm psycho bred me. I don't have that f- no one f- for a chick like in f- you. I think the angrier he gets,
0: the stronger that accent becomes and the harder he is to understand. Or maybe that was the whiskey, I don't know. But I did get the first part of that. Ask these nuts.
1: Ask these nuts. I don't have to do nothing for nobody. I'm psycho bred me. I don't have to. No one's for a chick like you.
0: Here's the thing. Connor is a master at promotion, a master at selling and driving pay-per-views. I don't think that's what that is. I think he hates this guy's guts. I think this is real. I think the hate is real. I think it's legitimate. You know, and I'm not a guy who's just getting sucked into this to promote the thing to promote it. I think he hates his guts. Again, the presser was full of all kinds of moments like that. And there's just way too many to run back here. But here's one more gem. Conor insisting that he's going to enjoy fighting Habib.
1: We're going to go out and enjoy this contest on October 6th because, again, that's all I'm doing it for. Because I f-ing love it. Don't have to deal with what I it was. It's just because I love it. That's it. You really think you're going to enjoy with me? I'm going to love it.
0: I already do. <laughs> like I always say about this guy, never mind the 49 95 I've got to throw down for the fight. I'd pay forty-nine ninety-five just to watch this guy conduct pressers. Get my money's worth that way. But it's going to be great. Two of the best in their prime, fighting for the belt. They hate each other. It's personal. October 6th. And if that fight is anywhere near as entertaining as that presser was yesterday, it is going to be one of the best fights in company history. As far as Conor goes, you can love this guy. You can hate his guts. You cannot argue the fact that he is still the most entertaining guy in sports. And it's not even close. There's nobody like him. He's nuts. That said, he might get knocked the hell out. My guest is Elton Brand. Elton, back in the jungle, my man. How are you?
3: <laughs> hey, Jim. How you been? My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me, as God, always. Dude,
0: it is so good to hear your voice, Elton. It's been a long time since we've done this. You know, you used to come on the show over the years as a player. I can't believe that we're already having a conversation about you being a general manager. It's been less than two years since you announced your retirement, and now here you are as a GM. Was it always the plan, or maybe are you even a little surprised about how quickly this has transpired?
3: No, no. I'm definitely surprised. It was quick. It was rapid. Um, we always had a succession plan once I spoke to leadership about coming back with the organization, um, but I didn't think it'd be this fast. I
0: mean, it's amazing. The story goes that you had been offered an assistant GM position with the Hawks after you played for them, but maybe you weren't quite ready to stop playing at that time. That said, after your career, uh, playing career did end, did you know immediately that you wanted to get back into working basketball, or did you need some time to think about that and decide what you wanted to do going forward?
3: Yeah, once I got yeah, when I got that off with the Hawks I started shadowing people, I started preparing as if this chance would come. But I wasn't sure. Once I came with the Sixers in that player development role I got to see the insides of basketball, like, okay, I love playing it but I could work basketball. That's when I saw like unparalleled access to trade calls, like amazing trade calls. They didn't happen, but it was just and just got my wheels turning. Like, I, I think I enjoy this. I could enjoy this. So that's what
0: really sparked my interest. Elton Brand joining us. What about the summer of 2017? You went to the draft combine in Chicago, the draft, the summer league in Utah. What was your takeaway from the experience of being around, talking with, and evaluating young players?
3: Oh, yeah. No, the relationships, you know, that really started off. Because I knew you know, majority of everyone in there from either playing for them or playing with them or, you know, them being the general manager in the game and then just evaluating that talent and and seeing it and seeing where it could grow. Um even years back when I saw I can't say their names now, but I saw some young talent and I see them develop and you know, it's like okay, I see where that came from. I, I, I kinda pinpointed that player to be as good as he is now in just a few years. So that, that was really exciting, truly exciting.
0: All right, Elton Brand joining us. So obviously you had a knack and you had an eye for it. What was it like when you were the GM of Philadelphia's G League team? What was that experience like, and what was your biggest takeaway there?
3: Uh, you know, there's a lot of growth there because we have such a smaller staff. So I was doing everything. Who plays with the Sixers? What's the time? When are they traveling to? I'm doing parking passes, and can you make sure the aunt has tickets?
0: <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm doing everything down there, and, and that's a great great experience is a huge learning curve but it was a great experience
0: we're talking elton brand you know it seems to me that when you take this job it means not only does the organization want you to be the general manager, but also the organization likes how the front office is operating and approaching the next phase of the Sixers. As an example, Elton, Brett Brown has come on this show a number of times over the years, and I really, really respect him. He's talked about the culture that's developed in that locker room. How would you describe the way then your front office works and meshes with the coaches and the players in Philly?
3: Uh, No, absolutely, Jim. Good point. No, it's, it's definitely a partnership. You know, you have to have your coach aligned to your vision. Um, and we've been doing this for the last five months. We've been doing it for the last five months. So when we had a chance to interview individually, my group actually said to me, We want you to lead us. Mm-hmm. And we have some really, I'm not by myself. We have some really smart and intelligent people. I think they're topping their verticals from, you know, knowing about the CBA to uh, analytics to whatever it is. So, uh, you know, we mess with Coach great. I, we're great friends. I played with them. It's going to be some thorny moments, of course, but we will get through it because we have the same mission and that's bringing this team to a championship level.
0: Elton Brand is the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I was going to mention that you did play for him. In fact, again, I I could not respect Brett Brown more than I do. You were there for that 10-win season in 2015, 2016. I bring that up just to ask, from a player's perspective, what did you learn about him as a coach and a person during that time?
3: Yeah, so he literally, they literally called me off the couch. I was on the couch with my family and they're like, We want you to come back, kind of mentor these young guys. Um, And I thought about it, and, you know, I still live in the area, so that that bodes well for me. And I wasn't sure, but when I got here, just the environment, you wouldn't think we had five wins or whatever it was at the time. Um, He really grew the program. He put the culture in. He had – each of his players like family. It was like a family feel. Even though we were losing, it wasn't happy and smiley, but it was, we're here to get work. We're here to get better. We're losing games, but we're giving our all as a group. And I really respected that.
0: Elton Brand is my guest. So you know what you're getting into to a large extent. And you know the young talent that you have. You've got Joel Embiid. Elton, he was asked about his reaction when you were named GM, and he said, quote, as soon as I heard the news, I just thought about how two years ago I was dunking on him. I just remember (laughs) dunking on him really bad, end of quote. First of all, is that how you remember it?
3: No, I remember (laughs) me tearing him up at the beginning of the summer. This is when he first came back from rehab and getting better. uh, Rehabbing his, his, um, I think it was his knee. Or his foot. It was his foot. So when he was rehabbing himself, he came back. I was the first one to really push him. And I was lighting him up at the beginning of the summer. But by the end of the summer, it was it was impossible. I couldn't guard him. And I'm just like, this guy is going to be all-NBA, all-time great. Like, I'm telling everybody, because he's shooting threes. He has enough handle. And then his post work, he was that dominant. Like, Because, you know, as the old head, I was trying to hang my hat on defense, and (laughs) it was up. And he did dunk on me, and I may have fell into the wall, but maybe not.
0: Maybe or maybe not is the old head. (laughs) God, Elton, you just kind of answered my next point. But, I mean, you've gone up against and played alongside every kind of guy, every kind of personality. God, I love Joe's game and his personality. When you look at his game, how good can he be, though? Are we talking one of the all-time greats, that kind of upside?
3: Uh, My opinion, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just his physicality around the basket. You know, I, I guarded Shaq in in his prime, and of course he was unstoppable. I couldn't stop him. You know, J- Joel has that, that kind of physicality, especially in today's game where each team doesn't have three seven-footers to try to stop a, a dominant center. But then he shoots the three at a high enough clip that you have to respect that. He can pass the ball. It's just... It's just uncanny how good he is. Um, and it's only his first year being in the playoffs, his you know, second year playing almost a full season. So, it, it, the sky's the limit, seriously.
0: Elton Brand is the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers. Then, of course, you've got Ben Simmons, who missed his rookie year due to injury. And then he learns a new position and he averages better than 15-8 and 8 in his first year. I mean, Elton, how impressed have you been with his growth and his development?
3: I'm so impressed. You know, the way he sees the floor, the way he works. You know, the thing about Joel and Ben is that they're workers. Like, they work tirelessly, and they have a chip on their shoulder. I don't know if it's being hurt the first year or just natural. They're just, you know, they just want to grow as players and people, but they're constantly in the gym trying to get better, and that's very encouraging. But he's, again, a special player, all NBA talent for sure.
0: You and I talked about that season where the team won just 10 games. I mean, if I told you during that season – that two years later, the organization would win 52 games in a playoff series. What would you have said?
3: Um, yeah, I wouldn't have believed you. It's <laughs> crazy. But it doesn't ha- happen that fast. You know, I've been in this organi- organization, with this organization, like I said, last five months, we've been the management leadership group. And last year, I was a part of it. So we looked at last season as a development season. Like, okay but we took a huge leap that uh, was wasn't even expected by us.
0: So finally, what's the bigger challenge, getting to 52 wins or getting from 52 wins to an NBA title?
3: Um in my opinion, it's a mix. We definitely if we don't get to 52 wins, to me that'd be okay. Maybe not to the fan base and <laughs> other people, but getting from from that level to the championship, that's the goal and that's what, you know, I've been hired to do.
0: He was a 17-year NBA vet. He was the first pick overall in 1999 and introduced as the Sixers general manager yesterday. Elton, I am really happy for you and really happy to have you back on the show. It's so great to hear your voice. I'm good to be back on anytime you need me. You know I'm there. I'm going to take you up on that, Elton, too. It's so good to have you back. Really good to have you back, Elton. And congrats. Elton Brand, our guest. God, that felt great. And I love that he did that right after getting that job. And the future, obviously, is so bright there.
1: This is the Jim Rome show. That's true.
0: I give you a topic or two or three or ten. I give you my takes. I set it up. I come strong. Then you call and you respond, or you set up another topic. How about those? Mahomes swing left sideline touchdown. Patrick Mahomes does not give a. He's just out there slinging it, spinning. Oh yeah! Big Andrew He's coaching him up. This guy is a rare, rare athlete. He's not coming out. He retired. And unfortunately, this is how this guy is going to be remembered. When all he had to do was finish that game and handle it the right way a day or two later. I've never
2: heard of it. That is quitting. He'll be forever remembered as a quitter. That, that is sad. The kick
0: is no good. Of course, he missed that with kick. Because after missing the extra point, there was no way he was going to hit that field goal. And Gonzalez with his helmet on. By the way, bro, I would not be long. taking your helmet off. Jeff Bowman is in you. studio. I need help, Jeff. Of course. If you email me, and I'm, I'm open about this. Are you sure you want to do this? 100%. A-N-N-G-O-L-D 22 at gmail.com. Thank you, buddy. You know, if he's gone 400 yards, four touchdowns, what do you think this guy might do to the Steelers based on what Patrick Mahomes just did to them? He might put the entire Steelers' secondary into a box and run a chainsaw through. Uh it. Is any of that yours or is that? The chest hair is mine. (laughs) That man's living his best life. Email. Keith Arnold looks like a bootleg Val Kilmer from (laughs) Batman Batman Forever having pepperoni nipples. Pepperoni (laughs) nipples that don't line up in the box suit. Chris Mannix, is there a worse idea than Pacquiao Mayweather again? I don't know, like
4: like Pacquiao me is probably a worse idea, but
0: other than that, I don't know. I'd rather see that. Ball, ball. Trouble. ball comes out. Khalil Mack stripped it Want is. more salt for that Wound Raider fan? They're 31st in the league in sacks. The Bears lead the league in sacks. Khalil Mack didn't want to play This is going to stick to you, Chuck, for a long time. By a long time, I mean pretty much for, for life. Vaughn
2: Miller is my guest. Yeah, I just go for the ball. I go for the ball 100% of the time. You know, it's ball first, tackle second. Whenever I'm playing like that, it takes some of the big hits off of the quarterback and onto the ball.
0: Live from Southern California. Naturally, I was as G-Mod curious G-Mod as anybody else when I saw Mario Kart trending. And Toad trending. Oh, oh, Josh Gordon is a New England Patriot today. The fact that they're jumping on somebody who the Browns are giving up on tells you how badly they need him. Josh Gordon reminds me of Randy Moss. You know, Romeo, it's just, it's, uh. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's gonna be super. Jim, have you ever had a New England lobster? Yes, sir, I have. You know I have. Is it like candy or what? Twitter. If you want to talk about Bert and Ernie, we cannot. Period. Period. That's it. We are joined by Lee Jenkins. Lee Jenkins. You know, for right now, I'll definitely miss it. And not... I'll miss being on the show with you, too. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're not doing that anymore. I know. I'll break that into the contract. Jim Rome appearances are permitted. You got shouts everywhere getting, like, Will Hunting on the classroom blackboard. Yeah, and... let's go punch them in the face and get their girls. Do you have any fucking idea how easy this is? This is a fucking joke. See you know how easy this is for me? You like apples? Hey, you like them apples? Now she's my girl. And... Mike Gundy is my guest. I laid down to sleep for 30 minutes before I went to practice, and it kind of smashed my hair. You know, you like bed hair in college. You know, right? i
4: sleeping all the time after been head. out all night, and so I had that, and it smashed it down. And I think it kind of messed it up. Somebody took a picture and hit it big, and I, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> Email.
0: I wore axe too. Signed Ron Goldman. Ron oh, oh, were physically dead, and it's almost like they killed me. How, Juice? We're joined by Dino Babers. Hey, Rome, don't forget about me, man. I remember I was listening to you in
3: high school when I was driving a baby blue hatchback Pinto, brother. Stay with me. We'll
0: try to piss away that
4: game tonight, but it'll blow back in our faces. We're gonna win. And thank you, and I'm out.
0: I'm very easy to work with. Let's do this, Braun. You tell me where to be and when you need me there, and I will be there. Deshaun Gibson.
3: Coming in this league with nothing. I think that it's just awesome to be able to, you know, be able to talk to you, man. watching your show back when I was Kids. man. I can't do nothing but smile, man. I'm blessed, man. David Shaw. For me, I love the fact that it's not just football. Some people lament that. Um, I love the fact that it's not just football because I think we're doing something special here, both on the football field and off.
4: Or Cinnabon with extra, extra icing and my six-foot blast
0: radio. <laughs> Put your phones down. Then they throw it and Mayfield caught it. Robert Klemko is my guest. The Browns are now Baker Mayfield's team. Get laughed out of Cleveland if Baker Mayfield
2: isn't the starter.
0: Isaiah Crowell. And that'll draw a flag. That celebration was so egregious, so vulgar, so lacking of any subtlety whatsoever. So over the top, so disgusting. disgusting. So stupid.
1: I am going to truly love putting a bad beating on this little glass jaw rat. You little fanboy. He sent and took his on that bus. Conor
0: McGregor is going to
1: stomp on his head as he's unconscious. He
0: cried. I was in tears watching the game. He won a medal in inline skating. I won a medal at Nationals. I'm an inline speed skater. And he went top shelf. And I sucked it down a Bud Light Orange.
2: Rock him. him! No matter how good the Indians and how good the Cavs are, they will always be
0: Brownstown.
3: We we're talking Elton Brand. I'm doing parking passes and can you make sure the aunt has tickets?
0: <laughs> wow. This thing turned around. <laughs> Damn. Same
4: See you, Jim, look forward to talking to you in a few weeks. we got to get Mark next.
0: Schlong Schnoz the stardom. People like chompers. Give me the roll. Anytime, boss. I'm going to cave in your face and take your girl. It's going to be super. Ask these, these nuts. nuts. <laughs> <Would> Drakkar <laughs> didn't want any of that. Anytime you need me, you know I'm there. Good night
3: now. Good night now.
2: You ever hear something and know the world will never be the same? Houston, we have liftoff. We'll wait until you hear this one. half price coffee that's right get into mcdonald's weekdays before 10 30 a.m for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee both made with 100 arabica beans both half the price good is brewing <coughs> and that's the sound of your morning changing limited time only may not be combined with any offer or combo meal at participating mcdonald's